You're listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. Can open up a Bible to start marking up this morning. Hope you brought something to write with and something to write on. So I have about 27 minutes to do about an hour and 15 minutes worth of teaching. So, uh, so we're going to go through this kind of quickly this morning. Let's go over to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. I want to talk to you as, as much as I can. This will have to be brief. I want to talk to you about three truths that surround the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And those three, three truths are substitution. These are the Bible scholars like to use big words for this stuff. Substitution, justification, and righteousness. Substitution, justification, and righteousness. And so we're just going to talk through some verses here this morning. Honestly, as long as you get the concepts, I don't even care if you remember the words. We just, I just want you to get the ideas that we're talking about here. So I want to start actually up on your screen is Romans chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. I want to start in verse 20. Actually, Romans 3.20, it says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Okay, nobody will be declared righteous. And we're going to get into that word righteous here in a minute. But it basically means, it means to have right relationship with God. Okay, so nobody's going to be declared, going to be given a right relationship with God by keeping the tenets of the law. All right, so he's, he's talking to both, uh, well, he's talking primarily to, to Gentiles in this letter, but still the context and the idea was of the law, it was the Old Testament law. So it was the Ten Commandments and all the, the commandments after that uh, that were in the Torah. There were, there were social laws, there were religious laws, there were sacrificial laws, there were laws about worship. And the whole Old Testament is there to show us, or one of the reasons, one of the reasons, it, it reflects, when we look at those laws, we can see what holiness looks like. So we can, we can see God's nature. You know, he, he says, do not murder. Why is that? Because he's not a murderer, okay? And he doesn't want us to be murderers. Don't covet your neighbor's snowblower, okay? That is our neighbor got the most incredible snowblower this year. And I mean, ours is okay, but this, I had to go over and talk to him about it because he was like, what is that thing? Anyway, don't <laughs> covet your neighbor's stuff. Why is that? Because God's not covetous. You know, and so all of the laws reflect his nature, but they're also there to demonstrate and to show us we can't do it. We can't, that, that twinge of coveting that snowblower still comes up, okay? We, we can't keep all the rules on our own. And the Old Testament demonstrated that, bringing us to the point of realizing, wait a minute, I need a savior. I need, the only person who ever kept the law perfectly is Jesus Christ. And he went to the cross for us and carried our sin. And he did it all perfectly. Not a single one of us do that. So, so Paul is bringing out here, he's saying, look, you're never, nobody is ever going to be declared righteous based on perfect behavior. 
Okay, it's never going to happen because none of us have perfect behavior. He says, actually, by the law or by trying to live by a set of rules, and we do this in many different ways in our life, we will set up different rules and we'll decide if I keep all these rules, then I'm okay with God. If I blow it, then I'm not okay with God. He says, actually living with that kind of mindset, it makes you conscious of sin. You become sin conscious. And let me just say this about that. God doesn't want us to be sin conscious. He doesn't want us to be ignorant about what sin is. But he doesn't want us to try and live our life always focused on this this hierarchy of do's and don'ts. Did I do all the do's? Did I don't all the don'ts? Did this and and what inevitably happens when we start to live like that is we judge ourselves and we judge by some kind of standard and we judge other people. And so we start looking at one another and we start saying, well, you know, at least I'm better than this person. And, or, man, I feel condemned because that person is so much better than I am. We get into this system of, of judgment that actually ties into the tree of the knowledge of good and evil back in the garden. And I don't have time to talk about that this morning. But what God does want for us is to become righteousness conscious. Because it's not like sin doesn't matter. Sin does matter. Jesus paid for it, but if we live in it, it still will produce death. It still produces bad things in us, and God doesn't want that for us. He wants us to become, he wants our focus to become the position that God has given us because of the blood of Jesus, which the Bible calls righteousness. It's a position of right relationship. It does not mean, I'm getting ahead of myself already, it does not mean perfect behavior it means perfect love and acceptance by God. And it's not based on what you do or don't do or what I do or don't do. It's not based on that. Never was. It was always based on what Jesus did at the cross. It's the only basis for having right relationship with God is through the blood that Jesus shed for the forgiveness of our sins. So our dependence to have righteousness, to have this right relationship with God, it has to be on him. And anytime we get it on us, anytime we get it on our behavior, then what that actually does, let me take, let me take it from the other direction. When we maintain a righteousness consciousness, in other words, we think about the fact that I am loved by God and accepted by God because of what Jesus did. I don't deserve it one bit, but I am. It's, it becomes, it is who I am. It is my identity in Christ. And I can approach God at any time. I have free access to him. Even, even right when I sin, I can come to God because my access to God is not based on my perfect behavior. I don't have to go do a bunch of things first to go to God. Jesus did it so I can come to God. So what that does is it opens the door to having intimacy and relationship with God through which I can receive the power and the grace to overcome the sin. When we're sin conscious, we get into more and more sin and legalism and judgment. When we're righteousness conscious, we actually receive the power to overcome the sin. It's one of those things that if, if we are sin conscious, we're going to end up sinning more and more and more and probably trying to cover it more and more and more. If we become righteousness conscious by thinking about, meditating on the scriptures, talking to God about who he has made us and what he has done for us. We become righteousness conscious. All of a sudden, we're ushered into this incredible relationship with God. 
And we begin to live out of that righteousness and live out of that identity. You're going to live out of whatever identity you adopt. And so if that identity is, I've got to do everything perfectly in order for God to accept me, then you're going to always be fighting that battle and losing and feeling condemned. But if, you're, if your view is, I am the righteousness of God in Christ and I don't deserve it for a second, but it's mine. It is who I am. You'll start to live like a righteous person when you see yourself that way. So Romans 3.20 tells us this. Nobody's going to be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. When there are rules in place, then we start to think about how to break them. It doesn't, I'm not, and I hope you understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that there are not things that are right and things that are wrong. There are not things that we should do and things that we shouldn't do. That's absolutely true. It's how we get there that's the important part. It's how we get there. Okay, so got to move on. Romans chapter 3, verse 21, it says, But now, thank God, this side of the cross, but now, a righteousness from God apart from law, apart from keeping all the rules, okay, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. The, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. This is a really odd place to break this verse, but that's the way it's broken, so we'll just stop. There's no difference, okay? So what he is saying here in verses 21 and 22 is that in the Old Testament, the the law and the prophets uh, both pointed to a day when God would provide right relationship with himself. He would provide it for us. Boy, there's so many places we could go with this. You think about even the story of Abraham and God told him, I need you to take Isaac, your only son. It's a picture of God sending Jesus for us. Take your only son, take him up on the mountain and sacrifice him to me. And he, and he did. He went up. He took his son. He went up. They took wood for a burnt offering. They took all this. And, and was, as they were drawn near to that place, Isaac asked, Hey, Dad, where's the, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And it's really interesting, especially in the King James Version, Abraham's response is, God will provide himself a lamb. God will provide a lamb for himself. And, and and the Lord had Abraham play that out to the last second. And then he said, no, don't, don't take your son's life. And there was a ram caught in the thicket there that they used as a sacrifice. So God provided. God did not. He wanted to see Abraham was demonstrating his faithfulness that God already knew was in his heart. But God provided that lamb. God provided the sacrifice in that situation. All through the Old Testament, it points to the fact that that we cannot keep the law and God will provide this righteousness through the Messiah that he will send, all right? Because nobody, this right relationship, righteousness with God, it has to be based on what Jesus did because nobody can keep the law. Nobody can keep all the rules. This makes sense to you so far? Okay, so let me give you some uh, thoughts about righteousness and what it is because what Jesus did at the cross and in his resurrection it provides for us, again, not a condition of holiness. In other words, a condition where now I, I never sin, I never have a bad thought. I never, it's not that. It is a position called righteousness. 
We don't use the word that much anymore, but it means right relationship, clean relationship. It means fellowship, friendship, communion. It means partnership. It, it means that we have this position given to us, free of charge, by believing in Jesus Christ and what he did at the cross, that, what, that the shedding of his blood was enough to wash my sin away. And now God has given me this position. That position includes free access. It's a position of friendship, of perfect relationship. It is a position of full acceptance and goodwill from God toward us. It's a position. It's yours. You have it. When you sin, you still have it. Righteousness doesn't change. Why? Because it's not based on me. It's not based on you. It's based on him. And there's nothing that can undo what he did at the cross. There's nothing that can undo that. Righteousness, the Bible tells us, it's about identity. Again, it's a position. It means I'm a child of God and I'm accepted in the family. Okay, I'm, a, I'm his child. That doesn't change. I'm his child because he made me his child and I accepted what Jesus did at the cross for me. Righteousness is not holiness. Holiness is a word that speaks of, in some context, speaks of good behavior, perfect behavior, godly, I should say godly behavior, okay? We can make up all kinds of things about what good behavior is, but godly, godlike behavior, that's holiness, Okay, and, and so righteousness is not holiness, but the Bible does say that righteousness leads to holiness. Knowing that you are accepted with God ushers you into intimacy with God, which leads to right behavior. It leads to living like God because he keeps revealing himself to you and dealing with issues in your heart. And he keeps moving all of us into uh, holiness. But we've got to understand we have righteousness right now because of the blood of Jesus Christ. All right? So in verse 22 there, then uh, he says, this righteousness from God, this righteousness, it comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there is no difference. And what he means by that is there's no difference between Jews and Greeks. There's no difference between men and women. There's no difference between rich and poor. There's no difference between master and slave. There's no difference. And he goes, he goes on there in verse 23, which probably many of you are familiar with and may have been the only verse you ever heard growing up in church. There is no difference for because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Passion Translation there, I think, says we fall short of God's glorious standard. Okay, it says uh, there's no difference. The, the righteousness has to come from God because there's no difference. We've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. But finish the sentence. This is what always drove me crazy about that. There were, and, and I actually didn't, I wasn't involved in a church like that, but I talked to people who were, where every week this verse, part of this verse, part of this sentence, was used to remind people what sinners they were. And they never finished the verse. It was just, it was just all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I know one guy that that was what was written at the front of the church. That was what you're reminded of. You've sinned and you've fallen short of the glory of God and you should feel guilty about it. The sentence goes on and says that we have, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely 
justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. We are justified freely. Yeah, we have blown it. We have fallen short of the glory of God. And God knew that. And so through redemption, he has justified us as a free gift. So let's talk about those two words real quick. Redemption means to buy somebody out of slavery and set them free. So with what Jesus did at the cross, he paid a price. And by that price, we are bought out of slavery and we are set free to make a decision about whether to accept what he did or not. But we are set free and we are bought out of slavery. We are no longer under the dominion of sin. We are no longer under the dominion of the demonic. We are no longer under that dominion. We've been purchased by the blood of Christ. And he says there, we are justified freely. And this term justified or justification, it's, it's a big theological principle, but it was a legal term. It was a, it was a term used in the Greek legal system at the time. And here's what it meant. Justification was a public declaration that a person had paid the full penalty for their crimes, and so they were set free. It'd be like somebody who went to jail and then was released. They, they did their time, they paid for the crime, and they went. Or somebody who paid a fine for a ticket, and once that's done, they're, they're, it's behind them, right? It's, it's behind them. But this was a public declaration that this person has paid the penalty and therefore is to be seen as free from any further punishment. They're to be seen and regarded as if that crime was never committed. That's what this word justified means. Some, some teachers of the Bible like, like to say that you can remember the word justified by it's just as if I'd never sinned. That's the way God regards you because not, he didn't, you've got to get this. He didn't just do this out of the blue. He did not sweep sin under the rug. This is why this word is so important. This is a legal decree from the judge of heaven, from the eternal judge, based on the fact that the fine was paid. He didn't just say, as many people would try to teach today, love means there is no judgment. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. There is no wrath for us because Jesus took it for us. And if we accept what he did at the cross, then we are free from the wrath of God. But it isn't like God just said, oh, well, they blew it and we're just going to erase all that. No, he did the legal. He went through the legal process. Somebody, life had to be given for sin. And the only one that could pay for all the sin of all mankind is God himself. And so he came as a man. He was 100% man, 100% God. And he went to that cross for us. Does that make sense to you? So this is a, this is a, a big deal. This, in the New Testament, this term is never, ever used to speak of a person being free from guilt or the consequences of sin because they themselves paid the price. They themselves paid the penalty. never used that way, Okay. I grew up, didn't spend a lot of time there, but I grew up in a system, a church system, where we were actually given punishment for sin when we confessed it. We were, we'd go in on Saturday, we'd confess our sin, and the priest 
would give you a punishment. And usually, I don't know if it was that way everywhere, it was prayer. We were... (laughs) What does that teach a kid? Go and say these four prayers. You know, first of all, it teaches me that I got to pay for my own sin. Whatever Jesus did apparently wasn't enough. And secondly, it teaches me that prayer is bad. It's punishment. Had to unlearn that along the way. This weekend in New Mexico and probably many other places, this just just brings tears to my eyes. It always did. There are people who go uh, a lot of places actually, but there's there's a hill called Tomei, south of Albuquerque. It's a lava outcropping, real sharp rocks. And people go there and they crawl up that hill on their knees and just get all bloody and everything because they're, they're showing how they're, they're taking pain to pay for their sin. There are people that walk all the way up north of Santa Fe, up in there to this little church way back in the mountains. And, 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 they, and some of them crawl a lot of that and they do all And it's all punishment. It's all pain. It's all because we're so unworthy. We, we are undeserving but God paid the price. We are no longer unworthy. We are the righteousness, righteousness of God in Christ. We are not, we do not have to pay for our own sin. We want to repent of our sin and reappropriate forgiveness. We want to turn back to God in the midst of sin, but you don't have to pay for it. Sometimes sin will even cause negative consequences in your life. You stay in it, it's going to cause bad things in your life. I guarantee it. God cares, who cares what I guarantee? It's the truth, but that's not paying. That's not paying for it. Don't don't ever try to pay for your own sin. Don't ever try to go to God based on, look, Lord, here's what I did. I bloodied my knees. Now forgive me. No, no, no. And and you know what? He can't because it's not based on the blood that was shed for us already. I just, uh, the word justified always speaks of a public declaration of freedom from guilt, condemnation, and wrath it, it, and that is exclusively based on the sacrifice of Jesus at the cross. There's so much I could say about that. And I just, your righteousness, your right standing with God has been declared to the spiritual wor- world as a judicial act of the eternal judge. And again, it wasn't arbitrary. It was through redemption. It was through him purchasing us back for himself, purchasing us back out of slavery. And honestly, I think sometimes the demons know this better than we do. You can stand in full confidence before the Lord. And even when we have to repent of sin, we can stand in full confidence before the Lord. Because of the blood of Jesus. What a deal. I don't deserve that. No, I don't either. That's why Romans 8 1 says, There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. There's no judging guilty and unworthy. There's conviction to lead us to uh, repentance at times. And the resurrection, we talk about, you know, the, the death and the burial. The resurrection is God's stamp of approval on the work of Jesus that says, this was enough. He's raised from the dead. Death can't hold him. And the scripture says that when he was made alive, we were made alive with him. And we were actually seated with him in heavenly places. I don't get that. I don't either. But it's the truth. 
when he was made alive, all those who believe were raised with him. All those who would believe were raised with him in the mind of God. Let's go on. Okay, so verse 25. Wow, this is so good. Verse 25. God presented him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement. This is the NIV. That's a terrible translation. I'll tell you why in a second. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Okay, first of all, that atonement is an Old Testament concept. That means uh, every year they would, uh, on the day of atonement, they would uh, slaughter a lamb for the people and they would pour out the blood of that lamb on the mercy seat. But what that blood did was it covered sin for another year. And then they had to do it again. The high priest and only the high priest had to go through this ritual and, and put that blood out there. That's atonement. It, it's a covering of sin. It, it, put, it made a situation where God could overlook sin until the next year, coming down to when his lamb, his lamb would shed his blood, Jesus would shed his blood, and something completely different would happen. What, when Jesus went to that cross and shed his blood, and then he took that blood into the heavenly sanctuary and poured it out on that real mercy seat, as it says in Hebrews chapter 9, sin was not just covered. Our sin is not just covered. It was washed away. And here are two more theology words that this is what happened. The, the word that the NIV translates atonement there actually means these two things. It means expiation. Okay, you use that around the dinner table all the time. I'm sure expiation. That means an action that permanently and completely removes something. Okay, an action that permanently and completely removes something. In this case, sin, guilt, condemnation, punishment associated with it. All right, and then uh, the second word is propitiation. And what that means, that is the result of expiation. Uh, when the blood was shed, sin was permanently washed away. And Colossians chapter 2, I think it's verse 14, tells us that in very strong Greek language, it says that we were that he, his blood washed us clean. And the terminology means that you could never ever find a trace of any stain or anything that was there. You know, I always think of the CSI guys and I always think if you could do this with the, with the blood and you could wash whatever stain that was, you wash it clean, they couldn't find any residue. They couldn't find anything there with all their equipment. Jesus washed us clean. And this term propitiation is the result of that. And it means we now have, it means the giving of a position of fellowship, a permanent position of fellowship with God. So God presented him as the sacrifice that totally took away our sin and then brought us, ushered us into this, into this position before him. So let's go on because I've got to quit. So let's just look at verse 26 and I'm out of time. This is just really important. I love this. It says, he did this to demonstrate his justice because, this is verse 25, in his forbearance, he had left sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate, notice this, he did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be 
just, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. God did this so that he could demonstrate justice. This is really interesting. Last week we talked about the verse back in Psalm, uh, was it 89? Talked about how in Christ, mercy and justice have become one. Mercy and justice have become one. God demonstrated his justice by doing the work necessary so that anyone who believes can be forgiven from sin and released from its penalty. Most of us would think of justice as you've got to be punished for what you did. God said, no, my justice is perfect. There needs to be a payment for the debt. The debt has to be paid. But then there will be this release of mercy and forgiveness. The two have met together in him. The sacrifice of Jesus satisfies perfectly the claims of both justice and mercy. Justice demands a payment of a debt. Mercy demands forgiveness of a debt. And God put both together in the sacrifice of Jesus. Isn't that cool? What I love about that is, again, he didn't just sweep it under the rug. He just didn't say, well, you know, yeah, they're, they're my kids. I made them and yeah, they blew it bad. And, and we'll just pretend they did. He didn't do any of that. He didn't do any of that. He took care of it legally. And you know what this does? This gives the devil absolutely no grounds for accusing you. This gives that little accusatory condemning voice that comes at you at times, it totally denies it because God himself would say, I don't even know what you're talking about. That debt has been totally paid. That debt has been totally paid and they've put their faith in the blood that I shed for them. And there is no, there's no, in fact, back over there, I don't have time, back over there in Colossians chapter two, it talks about how Jesus through the cross, um, he expunged the records is, is what it means. He expunged the records that the accuser would use to bring against us, to accuse us. The things that the devil would like to bring up about you and about me says those records have been expunged and sealed. They just don't exist. As far as God's legal system goes, they just don't exist anymore because of what Jesus did at that cross. And, and he said, he did this to be just. In other words, to act out perfect justice and the one who justifies, the one who declares not guilty, the one who says the price has already been paid and to extend that mercy. He made sure the full price was paid and then he freely forgave everyone based on that payment. Isn't that awesome? So righteousness is ours. It is ours because of justification that God did this legally. And we have justification because Jesus became our substitute. He went to the cross for our sin. He had no sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God in Christ. The scripture says he took sickness and disease, bore it upon himself so that with his stripes we could be healed. Scripture says over in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, that he carried poverty. He became poor. And it means, when, and it's all, this is all about material stuff. The whole chapter is about material stuff. Don't pull it out and try and just make it spiritual. 
He said he became abjectly, deeply, wantonly poor so that we could be made magnificently wealthy, which certainly includes more than money, but it's a part of the substitutionary work of Christ. He took our sin. He took our sickness. He took our poverty. He eliminated the, the power of spiritual death. He took the curse. He became a curse for us. Galatians 3.13, so that we could receive the blessing promised to Abraham. He became our substitute. He became our substitute. So those three things work together around the cross to give us the life that we have today. How many of you can be happy for that? All right. Yeah, why don't you come up? I just want to ask this. I don't know everybody here today. If, there's, if any of you are here today and you're hearing all this and you've never made that personal commitment to Jesus Christ, you've just never accepted, maybe today, maybe you realize, maybe for the first time, or, you know, what he did for you and that this is a free gift and it's based on his blood. And the way that we receive that, the way that we enter into that is we make this decision in our hearts. He left this decision to every one of us. His, his blood paid for it all. And that's there for us, this salvation, this eternal relationship with God, it's there for us, but we get to choose it or not choose it. That's left up to us. And the way that we do that is we simply pray a prayer from our heart that says, I accept Jesus, the work that you did at the cross. And I'm, I'm asking you, I receive you as my savior and I'm asking you to come into my life. And I give myself to you, I surrender myself to you. So I just wanna ask if there's anybody here today, you've never prayed that prayer, you've, you've never had that experience, we'd love to pray with you about that. Is there, and I'm not here to embarrass you or anything else, but is there anybody here that wants to pray that prayer this morning? waiting. No. I think I know just about everybody. I'll just say this on the end of that. If you are here, you can do a few things. You can pray that prayer from your heart because really that's all that needs to happen. You can come up after church. One of us would be very happy to pray with you about that. Or you can lift your hand right now. No, just kidding. Let's stand up and pray together this morning. Let's go out there and, and eat. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Father, I can't even, there's just no way in English to even express, Lord, the magnificence of what you've done for us. But Lord, all we can do today is we can say, thank you. Thank you. We thank you for the position you've given us. Help us, Lord, to enter into it better, to spend more intimate time with you and, and richer, I guess, is what I'm looking for. Lord, that our time with you would be rich because we know that we are received. We know that we are welcome. I pray that, Father, if there's anybody in this room today that's still struggling with condemnation, that, Lord, they would reject that and realize, no, in Jesus' name, I am bought by the blood of the Lamb and I belong to Him. That from this day forward, they could start walking in real intimacy with you and that great love relationship, that friendship and that partnership with you. Lord, we love that. Help us to spur one another on in all that. Help us to encourage one another in all of that. We thank you for it. And as we go out this week, Lord, into this community or other communities where folks live, Father, we go as a light. We go with the word of grace and mercy and truth on our lips, Lord. We go to be a light in dark places. And I thank you for that empowering today. And once again, we just say 
Thank you, Lord, for all you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, did you get something out of that today? Good. One person did. I'm up. That's good. All right. So we're going to say on the count of three, we always like to say Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin of the world. We declare that over our area and then go out here. I think they've probably already started feeding the kids so, they, so there may still be some food. And, uh, and so go out here and enjoy yourselves. Hang out. All right. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.